Years before I was born, my dad and uh, his brother, my Uncle Brian, and my grandfather started a family business. Now, we, I grew up in Mississippi, and this family business was called Macri Southern Farms. Macri is my maiden name. And uh, one of the things that I think is a real gift of my childhood uh, was growing up in a family that had a family business. Now, when I was in the sixth grade, I did not think it was a blessing because kind of what was understood in my family was that all the kids had to work in the family business. Now, never mind you that there are child labor laws that prevent, and there are laws against this, and my parents are probably just to be glad there wasn't the internet back, you know, in the in the mid-60s or the early, late 60s, early 70s, because I'm sure my cousin Tommy and I would have looked it up on the internet and said, no, we do not have to work when we are 12 years old. But, you know, other kids were out riding their bikes and, uh, and we were working. Uh, but I would not trade any, I say that jokingly, uh, I, it, was, it was actually a lot of fun because we got to goof off a lot. But I learned a lot of great life lessons uh, being a part of a family business. One of the lessons that had a profound impact on my life occurred when I was probably 15 or 16 years old. And so by this time, I was working, you know, every day after school, work summers, that kind of thing. And it was a Friday afternoon and five o'clock was approaching. Now, I don't remember what I had planned, but it must have been a hot day going out with my friends. I don't know what it was, but I could not wait for five o'clock to get there so I could hit the road and get on with my weekend because, you know, I was 15, 16, something like that. So anyway, here I am, I'm waiting, and, and the particular area of the business that I worked, without going into too many details, so you can just kind of get a visual picture. Um, we had an egg processing plant. And so what this looked like was that my, my dad and uncle, they had some chicken farms. We had other contract farmers. But all those eggs would come to the egg processing plant, and that's where they were washed and graded and packaged, and then we would sell them to stores and to grocery stores. So I worked there in the office in the plant most of my, you know, high school years working in the, with the bookkeeping, our bookkeeper. Anyway, more information than what you need, but one of the things that we did was that people in the community could come and buy farm fresh eggs that were not going to the grocery stores. Maybe they had slight cracks and things like that. But, um, and we have a small town, 15, thousand people, small, small community. But anyway, but so <clears throat> here I am, I'm in the office, I've been working all day, I don't know if it was summer or whatnot, five o'clock's coming, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait, I can't wait. But there was one little slight problem. I didn't have a car. So I couldn't leave until my daddy came and picked me up and said, it's time to come home. So I was a little dependent on him. Now, five o'clock, car became mine <clears throat> for the weekend, but he was my ride home. So I'm sitting there, I'm watching the clock, I'm watching the clock, I'm watching the clock, and it is five o'clock. So I take that sign, y'all know the sign I'm talking about that says open, and I flip it to close. I take that thing, I lock the door. I have already counted the cash register, so all I have to do is just those final steps, and I'm getting ready to shut it all down. And, and my daddy's walking through the office, you know, he's kind of getting ready to go home. But about that time, a car drives up in the driveway there. And so, and I'm like, oh no. 
And so I'm like trying to hide and duck. Have y'all ever been in a store or a restaurant where they close at a particular time? I mean, you're right there. You see them in there. They could let you in. And they're ducking and hiding. And they're like, we're sorry, we're closed. Uh-uh. Well, I was that employee because... It's Friday night. I got plans, you know? But anyway, so, but my daddy comes walking through, and I'm like, oh no, he's gonna do it. He is gonna, he's gonna do it. Y'all know what he did? He flips the sign and he unlocks the door. Of course, he knows everybody in town. Slowly, he's, he's not in a hurry. He doesn't have a hot date. I mean, you know, he's what, 100 years, I don't know how old he was. But anyway, he opens the door. Come on in, come on in. No, we're, we're not closed. Y'all come on in. And I'm just sitting there like going, don't do it. Then what happens? Another car drives up, another car drives up. Y'all, it was midnight. No, it wasn't. It was probably 5.15 before I went. <laughs> so here I am with the brazenness of, you know, 15, 16-year-old. And I'm going to have to teach my daddy how to run his business. I mean, he needs some help from his adolescent daughter on how to run a successful business that, you know, put me through college and all the things. But anyway, so, and I was like, Daddy, I mean, here's the deal. We got to teach these people. I mean, and I, I mean, I was just... If I had my finger out, I'd been going just like this. And he's just driving, you know, probably 20, 25 miles in no hurry. And I said, we got to teach them that we close at five. Because if we keep letting customers in, they'll just keep doing this. But we've got to train them that we mean five o'clock. And then they'll stop coming. And he just looked at me. He wasn't in any hurry. And he just smiled. And he said, friend, he said, you know, he said, you and I kind of see things a little bit differently. He said, you see what you do as an employee. Like you're there from, you know, eight to five and your job is to sell eggs and, and to work there in the office and, you know, do with the bookkeeping department. And he said, but I'm the owner of the business. And he said, and as long as people were driving that driveway to give me their money, he said, I will open that door all day long. Oh, y'all, that, that, that one statement there that he made completely changed my paradigm and how I viewed what I did, how I approached what I did. And I thought, oh, this is our family business. This is what helps pay for the car that I would possibly get one day that I was hoping for and puts food on our table and helps pay for the fun things that I get to enjoy. And it, it totally and completely shifted how I viewed what we did together. In our, in our sermon today, we are talking about living the resurrection. What does it mean to be Easter people as we live into this new life that we have received in Christ? Jesus gave his followers a similar life lesson. And really, we're going to connect this today into what does it mean to live the resurrection. But I want to read to you what Jesus said to his followers, and we're going to dig down in and unpack this um, and how it connects to our lives as we live out the resurrection today. So if I could have our slide up today, our passage today is in John 10, and I'm starting in verse 11. I'm going to read this, and then uh, may God open our ears to hear what he would speak to us this morning through his word. 
I am the good shepherd. Jesus is speaking. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Now, let me pause here. We, we understand that we are God's sheep. This, this theme, this, this uh, image is carried all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Uh, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, we, we, know, we know these words. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand, oh, wait, wait, he's making a contrast here. He, he's, he's changing things. He says, you got a good shepherd. And he said, in contrast, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. He isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and, the scatter, and he scatters the flock. The wolf scatters the flock. The hard hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. And then Jesus goes on to say again, I am the good shepherd. So, so he's, he's drawing this contrast really kind of similar to what my dad was trying to explain to me. Um, you are a hired hand. You're, act, you're thinking, acting, behaving like a hired hand. Uh, the day begins at eight, the day ends at five. I'm gonna do exactly what I have to do, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it's not on me. I don't, I don't really care. But daddy was saying, but it's different when you're the owner of a business. Jesus was saying, um, I want you to think that I'm the owner of the flock, the community, I care, I love, the hired hand is gonna, is gonna behave differently. All right, let's take a moment right here. Before we unpack that, I think, and this is kind of what I want uh, us to focus on today, I think that sometimes we don't get the full impact of what Jesus was trying to communicate to those who were listening that day because we don't understand or maybe we've not taken the time to look at what preceded Jesus' teaching about him being the good shepherd. So what, what I mean by this is just as, so what if just, just random day, my dad and I had been driving home from work and he had said, Fran, let me tell you the difference between a hired employee and, and a business owner. And he kind of launched into like a, you know, Econ 101 or something like that, you know. I wouldn't have cared. I've been like, yeah, I have no context for what you're trying to tell me. But because there had been an event out of that grew a teachable moment for my dad to teach me about small business ownership and kind of what that looks like. That it was life changing. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there was an event, and out of that event grew the teachable moment. Well, something similar has happened. So what I want us to do is I want us to take a moment and look at the event that happened prior to this teachable moment where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and then draw some parallels because I think sometimes we, we only hear these words in terms of Jesus being our shepherd and we're his sheep, which is very true uh, and very comforting for many of us and all of us when we are going through a hard time. But I think there was a little bit of a different message that Jesus was trying to communicate that day. All right, so buckle in. Uh, let, me, let me give you the backstory. So here is what happens in John chapter nine. And I invite you this afternoon, go home, read the whole story because I'm just kind of do a hop, skip, 
skipping a jump over the big, the big, the main points. So what happens in chapter nine, which is right before this teaching of being the good shepherd, is that Jesus and his disciples are walking along the road and it says in John nine that Jesus saw a man who had been blind since birth. So they're walking along and Jesus notices this man. He's a beggar, we find out later. We also find out later that it is the Sabbath. And it might be that that Jesus is just gonna walk on by, but his disciples uh, begin to engage him in a theological conversation. And and this is what they, they ask him, why? Why is this man born blind? What's interesting to me is they don't, there's no record that they gave the man any money. There's no, uh, you know, uh, hey, can we give this guy a cup of water? Jesus, you've healed so many people. What if you heal this man too? They, they see him as if, y'all, as, as if maybe he was an object. I don't know. But they walk by, they, they don't seem to, I don't read any compassion and empathy. They, I mean, maybe it was there and, and the writer just has glossed over it. But, but basically, using him as an object lesson for a theological conversation. Why, why, is, why is he blind? Why, why, why is he blind? And we ask those questions all the time. You know, why, why do, why do uh, bad things happen to good people? Why, why did this person live and this person die? Why did, why did this person die of cancer and this person didn't? You know, we, we ask those questions too. Um, Jesus said, well, he's, he's blind um, for, the, for God to be glorified through his life. And then Jesus reaches down and he takes some dirt and he spits in it, which is very hygienic, especially in the day of COVID. We think, oh, don't touch germs. But anyway, but he makes mud, puts it on his eyes, tells the man, go wash in the pool, which he does. And when he comes back, he's healed. So great miracle story. But more happens more happens. So here's the man. He's healed. He's, uh, he's been a beggar for, for his whole, you know, his whole life he's been blind and now he is begging. And the, everybody in the community knows him. So the neighbors are going, well, what's up? Well, you know, how did, how did you get healed? And, and Jesus does, I mean, this man doesn't even really know who healed him. He just knows it's Jesus. He doesn't really know that he's the son of God, Messiah, any of this. But, but they are concerned. Y'all get this. Not because you know, here is my friend and neighbor who has been blind since birth and now he's healed, let's throw a party. You know what they're concerned about? It happened on the Sabbath. How did it happen? Why did he do it? And so he can't answer their, answer, answer their questions. So they take him to the, to the Pharisees. So then they're peppering him with questions, which tell us how you got healed. And, and he's saying, you know, maybe this guy's a prophet. I don't know. And they're like, uh-uh-uh. It couldn't have been a man of God because it happened on the Sabbath. And so they begin to basically interrogate him. They pull his parents in. Now, now tell us, how did, your, how did your son get healed? And, and the parents are like, uh-uh, we're not talking to you. No way. He's an adult. Y'all ask him. And you know why? They wouldn't engage with the Pharisees because they knew that if anyone confessed Jesus as Messiah or coming from God, they would get kicked out of the synagogue. So parents are like, ooh, uh uh-uh, you know, my son can take care of himself. We don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. Eventually, and the story goes on, and I I won't go into all the details, the Pharisees, y'all, and I get this, they end up cussing, cursing the man who had been healed. And then they kick him out of the synagogue. 
Can you imagine if you had been praying and praying and praying for healing or you had been praying for your marriage to be healed, you had been praying for the, the, the stronghold of addiction to be broken in someone that you love in their life or, or for cancer, any of these things, and all of a sudden you came and you were so excited and you wanted to tell your pastor about what had happened and the pastor began to curse at you and kicked you out of the church. I mean, can you, can you see how crazy that sounds? And so it was against this backdrop that Jesus says in chapter 10, verse 1, so, so standing around now, there, there are Pharisees, there's Jewish people, there's the disciples, everybody kind of knows what just happened. And then Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. And then he begins to talk about the difference between a good shepherd and a hireling. Now, think with me just for a moment. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. Against the backdrop of that story, who is the hireling? Are y'all tracking with me? I say tonight, it's, it's the Pharisees. It's the religious leaders of the day. Y'all, here was a man who had been in their community. <clears throat> they had been the, you know, use our, our modern day, day language. The Pharisees, they, they were the, the, you know, they were the ones that taught in the synagogue. And here's this man who's been blind in their community, a beggar. And they were not ecstatic when he was healed. And Jesus is setting up this contrast and he's saying, you know, the hireling, he's just in it for the money. He's just in it for, uh, you know, personal gain, uh, not so with you, not so with you. And we think about the hireling, we think about the person who is hired. They, they weren't the shepherd, uh, but if a shepherd may, maybe didn't have enough sons or whatever to, you know, to t manage the flock, the flock was so large, uh, you know, they would hire somebody. These were day workers who were on just really kind of the lowest socioeconomic rung in that community. And, and I don't want to give the hirelings too bad of a rap because, you know, think about yourself and you're in that situation. You're just trying to put food on the table. You know what I'm saying? You're just trying to make sure, you know, if your child gets sick, you can take them to the doctor. You're just trying to... Uh, Make sure you can make it uh, to the next day. And so it's almost like, as I think about it, these hirelings almost didn't even have capacity, uh, maybe sometimes to think beyond themselves and what their needs were. Jesus is drawing this contrast. And, and so often we hear this passage, and, and this is true, that we are the sheep and Jesus is our shepherd. But I think what he was trying to tell that community that was forming is when I die, and after I'm, you know, we have the resurrection, and you are my hands and my feet, and the church becomes that Christian community that is living out the resurrection. Guys, I don't want y'all to be hirelings. I want y'all to be shepherds. I want you to be people that see the blind man, that care about the blind man, who reach out and move towards the blind man. I want y'all to be a community of faith that says, not, not ask the question, you know, the hireling asks the question, what's in it, what's in it for me, what's in it for me? The shepherd says, what, what does this person 
need of me? How can I give God's love and God's grace? How can I see them? Jesus is trying to prepare and equip these believers or the, who will be you know, Christ followers after the resurrection or this new community as they are living out the resurrection to live into who he has called us to be. When I think about our life today and kind of where we are, um, I think about how during this pandemic is that for some of us, and, and I don't want to say that we're like hirelings because in some ways, I mean, how, how else could we not? But because of the pandemic, we were told by, you know, all the leaders and the scientists and the CDC and all these things, it's like, we need to pull in. You know, you need to go to your homes. You don't need to go out into public. You, and, and, you know, all the things, which we did, and we were so important, and, and we should have done that, you know, so I'm not diminishing all that. But what I think is, is that this last year and a half, in some ways, has programmed us to pull into ourselves rather than pouring into others. We've lived in through a, a season of, of world history, if you will, where proximity to strangers and even our neighbors was experienced as, as a threat to our safety. And we've kind of moved into our own little inner worlds where we have fe felt safe, which has been fine for the global pandemic. But now as the world is opening back up and it's becoming safer to get back out to do things, it's almost like I feel like some of us need to reprogram ourselves to maybe step back into ministry, to step back into saying, and, and some of us, you know, I mean, obviously we, none of us stopped per se, but it has looked different during this past year. But as things are beginning to open up more and more and more, I want us, as we're thinking about living into the resurrection, to uh, invite you to ask that question. You know, Jesus, what would that look like for me if I were to be a shepherd, to care for, to love, to pour into uh, a person, a group of people. Um, is, there, is there someone, somewhere, is there something that where, you know, I, I say, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. And we kind of have that moment to step back into ministry. Last week, Mark uh, talked to y'all a little bit about our Say Yes campaign. And for those of you who are in, here in person, you should have this in your bulletin. And for those of you who are worshiping online, it's a tab on our website. And, and what we wanted to do in this is to really invite and encourage all of those that would consider Martha Bowman to be your home to say, I want to do something. Uh, something that, you know, the, the, the hireling, it's, it's all, what about me? What about me? What about me? We're never called to live the Christian life that way. It's always, how do we, how do we live out uh, the Great Commission? I know Mark talked about that last week. And so we have a listing of some opportunities, and this is really just to kind of 
prime the pump. As I was coming out of the 8.30 service, uh, sweet Mildred Wagner uh, said to me, she said, you know, she said, Fran, you should have put grounds on there. And I said, Mildred, I didn't even think about that. You're right. But we have volunteers that come up here and make sure on Sunday mornings that, um, that the prayer garden is blown off. Uh, people who make sure that the flower beds are, are weeded. People who make sure that the church is beautiful uh, to welcome people as they come in to worship. We have volunteer opportunities, I mean, for every gifting, whether you are still online and you want to be a part of our, our greeting team that warmly welcomes the people who are uh, worshiping online, um, pouring into children. Uh, you know, we, we could use folks who, who loved, love the Bible, love the stories of the Bible, uh, to go in maybe once a month and, and share, the, share the Bible stories with the children in our iKids program, rock babies, mentor a teenager. Um, there's so many ways for everybody to do something. As we think about living out the resurrection, it is never to be about us. You know, there are those moments and there are times when, when um, I need to know that Jesus is my shepherd. I remember going through a, a time in my personal life that was very, very difficult, and I, I had a, a, a praise song, and it was about Jesus being my good shepherd, and I just listened to it over and over and over and over because I needed that. But another part of being this resurrect, this Easter community, this resurrection community, is that we are following Jesus where he is leading us. And John 10, in this same passage, he said, you know, I am the good shepherd. He said, my sheep, they know my voice, and I go out before them, and they follow me. As we think about our next steps, my challenge to you and my challenge to me is where is God going out before you? Where is he calling you and leading you to plug into ministry? Now, so just kind of some, some next steps. A baseline next step, if you're not serving anywhere whatsoever, let me invite you, just as a baseline next step, take this home, this, this, this uh, insert, pray over it. Say, God, what would you speak to my heart? And it doesn't have to be something on here. We just did this as a kind of just priming the pump to get you thinking. Go by the, the, uh, the next step booth down in the connection lobby. Uh, talk to one of the volunteers and say, I don't know. What, help, help me figure out a place to, to plug in. But if you are, so that's, that's a kind of a baseline step. If you're already serving somewhere, and maybe it's once a month, and maybe you're just a little, eh, it's not really bringing me life, but I know I should. You know, maybe it's time to talk to Liz or to me or to one of us and say, you know, I'm kind of really ready for something different. I'm ready for something new, something fresh. Uh, we would love to help you maybe kind of reorient where you're currently serving. Then, kind of the, the highest level of the steps, kind of the, you know, the, this is like, I don't know, college graduate, you know, PhD step or whatever, is many of you are already serving and you are loving your ministry team and you are very involved in ministry and it is going great and you're just, you're just you know, you're all in. My question and challenge to you is this, is there somebody that you could invite to join you in what you're doing? 
Is there somebody that you know, either inside the church, outside the church, who maybe is not plugged into a ministry team, that you could say, hey, I'm going to be packing backpacks this week for Backpack Buddies. It's a great ministry. I'd love to tell you about it. You know, I would love to have you come with me on Thursday afternoons when I go pack backpacks. Or it could be you're getting ready to go down to the warming center and say, hey, you know, you're my neighbor. Uh, you know, maybe if you have a neighbor or friend and say, I would love for you to join me. I think this would be really meaningful uh, and you would get a lot out of it. Uh, but how can you invite others to be a part of what God is calling you to do? I think, about, I think about Jesus. You know, he could have done it all by himself. I mean, he's the son of God. But you know what he said? He said, um, he said, he told his disciples, well, those he was calling to be disciples. He said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then they got to go out and do ministry together. But he invited people to be a part of what he was doing in the world today. As we close today, and we'll have communion here in just a moment, it's my hope that you will um, just really think about the contrast between the shepherd and the hireling. And think about in your own life what, what a difference it would make in our community, in our church, in our nation, in our world, if we as a, as a community of faith, collectively, if we thought like shepherds and not like hirelings.